Good morning. It's lovely to be back in the building today and to have the opportunity to speak to you all wherever you're listening to this, across Kingston or further afield, as we continue on this walk through Ephesians. Before I begin, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you love each one of us, that you have chosen us, that you know us, and that you've called us to live together in unity. Bless these words, I pray, and use them to speak to our hearts, that we might reflect who you are to those around us. Amen. Well, we come today to a transition in the book. In chapters 1 to 3, Paul has been writing to the church in Ephesus from his prison cell on matters of doctrine, truths about the faith which we all hold to. We've heard about how all history came to a climax in Jesus, how through grace God has created a new humanity, doing away with the old divisions in society as Jew and Gentile came together in one family. We've heard how God planned all this, how we were chosen even before the creation of the world. And then last week, Adam concluded this part of the book with his look at Paul's letter that we might know and experience the extent of God's love for us. Now the change in emphasis that we see at the start of chapter 4 in our NIV translation isn't as obvious as it is in some others. In that first verse, we just have the small word then in the middle of the sentence, which it's easy to skip over and miss. Many other translations start this verse with I therefore, but the change in emphasis is perhaps clearest in the message version of the Bible, which starts with, in the light of all this, i.e. all this truth we've been hearing about for the last few weeks, in the light of all this, here is what I want you to do. We're moving from what we believe to what this looks like in practice. In other words, we're moving to where the rubber hits the road. And in the next few chapters, Paul looks at the implications of what we've been talking about up to now for how we live in community and in our families but he starts today with how we live as church and what this looks for us, looks like for us living in Kingston as the local church. And his emphasis on this passage is on unity. And it couldn't be more appropriate that this should be our theme as we're joined for the first time this morning by Ellie Hughes, our new community pastor who no doubt will be helping us all in this church to connect on a deeper level. But make no mistake, pastoring or ministering to our community isn't exclusively Ellie's role. It's up to each and every one of us. So with that in mind, today's big idea is this, that as church, we are called to unity, not because it's cosy and comfortable, but because when we get it right, it reflects who God is to the world. 
We're called to unity because when we get it right, it reflects who God is to the world. And that idea is something I want to unpack as we go through this passage that Ellie's just read to us. And you might like to keep it open in front of you as we do that. So the first thing we're told in the first verse is that Paul urges us to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. To urge is quite a strong term. It suggests that something is urgent, that we need to take notice of it, that Paul is pleading with us to do this. It's not a suggestion. He's not saying, well, it would be a good idea if. When my children were small, if ever they needed to to listen to me, I would give them their full names. Matthew David Bell meant now is the time to sit up and take notice. We're being called by our first names here. And we're called to live a life. And the word used for that in the original Greek is peripateo, a word that literally means to walk about. It conveys the idea of living a certain way of life consistently. You may have heard of people talking about their journey of faith as their walk with God. This is peripateo. So this means that our faith should inform every part of our lives. Our actions need to align with our identity. We need to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. But it's verse three, perhaps, that is the central verse here. We're told, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. You see, the thing is this, we are family. God is our father, and that makes us siblings, brothers and sisters of each other. So the church should be like family, but perhaps that's where the problem starts. Because I don't know about your family, but mine certainly isn't perfect. We wound one another, sometimes by accident, sometimes through, fault, through thoughtlessness, sometimes more deliberately. We all know how relationships and families can break down. And where they do, they leave scars. But when this happens in the family of the church... When misunderstandings arise and feuds are left to fester, it wounds and scars the people of God and the result is disunity. Adam spoke last week about Jesus' teaching regarding the greatest commandments in Matthew 22, where Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment is that we should love God with all our heart, soul and mind. Now he could have left it there and that would be comforting for people who think they don't need to come to church to be a Christian, but he didn't. They might think, that's enough for me, I read the Bible, I pray, it's between me and God. But Jesus follows it up with, love your neighbour as yourself. Our calling then is to live, to live a worthy life 
has implications not just for our relationship with God, but for our relationships with each other. We are called to do life together. And in that sense, we're more than neighbours, we're family. John chapter 10 and verse 16 says, There shall be one flock and one shepherd. And in 17 verse 23, the reason why our unity is so important becomes clear. Jesus, shortly before his death, has been praying for his disciples. And then he says this. I pray also for those who will believe through their message. That's you and me. That all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world might believe that you have sent me. We are urged and commanded to pursue a deep unity between us. As one commentator I read put it, this goes beyond kumbaya moments. It doesn't come naturally to us. It's hard work. Unity isn't soft and fluffy, as I indicated at the start. It's intentional. It's proactive. It's about wrestling, contending, and it can be hard work. But this is what we're called to, so that the world might know that Jesus was sent by God to reconcile the world to him, to bring them into the family. We should be a family where relationships are built on a foundation of genuine love and concern, where we can be authentic, safe to be ourselves without any pretense, knowing we're loved and accepted. One of the members of the small group that I attend commented recently, I feel really safe with you all, and that's how it should be. But the problem today is that so many of our relationships are superficial that we lose lose an understanding of what relationships are really about. Now take Facebook or any other social media platform, for example. It might tell me that I have, I don't know, 230 friends or whatever. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that I have a relationship with those people just because I send them birthday cards or greetings and put up photos or whatever. It doesn't mean I really know anything about them. And it certainly doesn't mean I have a meaningful relationship with them. In contrast, we are all called to develop a deep and meaningful relationship with God and with each other. So the question is, how do we do this? Well, the first thing to notice is that we are called to keep the unity of the spirit. In other words, this isn't something we're called to create. We are to guard it, not to produce it. Unity between us then already exists. It's ours through the faith that we share in Jesus. I think today that we've got so used to there being many different groupings within the church that we've lost sight of how vital unity was to Paul. I googled churches in Kingston this week 
and it came up with 57 churches within a two-mile radius of the city centre of the town centre, and casting the net a bit further afield, came up with 163 other churches for me to look at. We're so used to there being Anglican, Catholic, Baptist, Protestant, Methodist, Orthodox, not to mention the many, many free churches, each with their own customs and practices. But we need to put what divides us behind us and work together to maintain, develop the unity that is ours through the faith that we share. And Paul illustrates that this unity exists between us with this list of seven ones, with seven, of course, being the perfect number that signifies spiritual and perfection and completion. So there is one body, the Church of Jesus Christ, in which we are all incorporated, regardless of age, sex, class or skin colour. One spirit the same Holy Spirit who comes into the life of every believer, you and me alike. There is one hope to which we are all, which we share, that we shall one day have eternal life in a world that is yet to come. One Lord, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. One faith as we trust in him for our salvation. One Holy Spirit, who immerses us into the family of God and one God and Father of us all, who loves, cares and protects for us. So given that this unity already exists, how do we, in the community of St Paul's, Kingston, guard it and protect it? Well, we find the answer in verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Let's just look at each of those briefly. So humility. This means not thinking too much of yourself. He doesn't say, by the way, be a bit humble. He says, be completely humble. There's a lovely definition of humility that I'm sure I've used before that says... Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's about thinking of yourself less. It's the exact opposite of pride and arrogance, which should have no place in our lives. And I think if we're honest, it's something many of us really struggle with. But we need to work against it. Listen to Philippians chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, the problem is pride leads to disunity, because as soon as we give in to pride, we start seeing everyone else as somehow inferior to us, and such an attitude has no place here. Looking around and thinking, what do they need? How can I help them? That's humility. And next we're told to live with gentleness. And in a way, this will be a natural consequence of developing a humble spirit. 
I don't think it's possible to be humble and aggressive at the same time. If you are humble, you will automatically be gentle. It's about speaking softly and respectfully and gently to each other, trying to dissipate tension, not increase it. When someone is shouting at me, I'm afraid I find it all too easy just to raise my voice back. And that's just the opposite of how I should respond. I remember one of the tactics I used to try and remember to use when the children were small and they were in the midst of a tantrum. Instead of my voice getting louder and louder to match theirs, I'd lower it and quieten it. And it worked because it's very hard to keep shouting at someone who won't shout back. So we need to be humble. We need to be gentle. We need also to be patient with one another. It's about not allowing yourself to be easily provoked, showing to one another a little bit of that grace that God has shown to you. And related to this, we need to bear with one another in love because we're family, right? And the sad truth is that just as in any other family, people will upset you. They will annoy you. They will bother you. They will do things that drive you crazy. Have you ever heard of EGR people? People for whom extra grace is required. One commentator I read put it like this, that God will use people as his heavenly sandpaper to shape you into the person that you need to become as you allow him to give you forbearance. So humility, patience, gentleness and forbearance are all qualities that will grow us in unity. But here's the important thing about unity. Unity does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean we're all the same. You see, the danger can be that we just gather around us people who are like us, people who look like us, who think like us, who act like us, who have similar values to us. But differences are not divisions. And crucially, I'd say that if we aren't encountering and learning to love people who differ from us, then something is very wrong. Kerry mentioned a few weeks ago how she was working on a subgroup of the PCC doing some work on diversity and inclusion. So who is it in the local community that we're not attracting and why? The main division in society in the church at Ephesus in Paul's day was between Jew and Gentile. What are the divisions here today? Black and white, gay and straight, rich and poor, able-bodied and disabled, old and young. These are questions we need to think about as we develop unity in diversity. And that diversity in the church was, was also seen in the different gifts given to church members. Verse 11 speaks of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. And this list is not exhaustive. 
But what matters more than what those gifts are is why they are given to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So there we have it. Gifts are given to equip his people so that we might all grow in unity and maturity together. That we might be the body of Christ here in this corner of Kingston and live our lives in a way that makes others curious. Today's big idea is this, that as church we are called to unity because when we get it right, It reflects who God is to the world. And with that in mind, I'd like to close with the words of Paul from another letter, that to the Colossians, in chapter 3 and verses 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Amen.